When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth from Forbes. I'm Sam Abual Sandwich from Guidehouse Insights. I'm Rebecca Lennon from Rebecca Drives with my cat Lucy. <laughs> <laughs> what does Lucy think of the cars? Does she ever go for rides? Lucy yeah. loves car rides. Really? I actually, I, she loves it. I actually have to, I put her in the front seat in her carrier buckled in. And then I have to open the sunroof and she will sit there and just stare out the windscreen. If it's cold out, she'll stare at the sunroof. Yes. Lucy is a car girl. Huh? Usually cats are like suspicious. Usually they think they're going to the vet. Cats are just naturally suspicious, period. Yeah. Her brother Linus was not a fan. Linus would, he, I would give him some um, like kitty crack to calm him down in the car, but Lucy's all <laughs> about it. <laughs> Our dog has that too. He's got like barbiturates or something when he, when it's, he's going to go to the it's, groomer. It's great. It's box pet remedy. Yeah. It's all natural. It's really fantastic oh. stuff. Daisy I loves was, going in the car. Yeah, I was, I was kind of eyeing him one day when I got a little cranked up. I was like, maybe I should just crush those up and <laughs> snort them. <laughs> calm myself down. Uh, no. I don't oh gosh. All that. right. So, a couple We're of, way off track already. Right. So a couple of <laughs> housekeeping things uh, before we start. So we now have a Patreon, which um, some of you have already found. So I wanted to make and sure. And we love you. Yes. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Um, I wanted to make sure that we thank those patrons. It does actually help. So let's see. Robert Grace, Colin Howe, Holger Eilhard. I hope I didn't screw that one up. Uh, Steven. No last name. Uh, Florian Herzog and Sean Whitehurst. So far, uh, you guys are early adopters or uh, early pledgers or whatever. You're one of the first. So we got some more things coming with that. What, the support why don't we explain what, what Patreon is exactly? So Patreon is uh, a way you can go and support your favorite creators, um, which clearly wheel bearings are a group of your favorite creators uh, creating a thing. Um, and so you can go to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. And uh, there you can see our rudimentary page, which will get fleshed out with some more things. Because one of the things it allows us to do is say at this pledge level or that pledge level, you know, increasing pledge levels, you can get exclusives or special things, um, you know, e- either, um, you know, s- some kind of. So some basically some kind of little return for your uh your support um 
you know, like a NPR. Yeah, like PBS gives you, you know, tote bags and (laughs) we'll give you something else. Right. (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, we've got a couple of other things in the works that this actually helps support. So one of the things that I've wanted to do for a while is uh, do a, a regular newsletter, an email newsletter. So we're getting set up for that. That's coming uh, will mostly sort of encapsulate some of the things that we talk about, but it gives you an easy way to, uh, to, to read the things that we talk about. You know, often when we're talking on the podcast, we mention uh, something that we've written or something that we've read or whatever. It's, it's a way for us to sort of collate all those and send them to you automatically versus uh, you having to listen through and, and make notes in case we missed anything in the podcast notes. So um, it's just another, you know, another way you can get some more wheel bearings in your inbox. Um, and then the other thing that we're working on that hasn't really shown up yet, but may is advertising. So advertising can go a couple of different ways. There's programmatic, which everybody has a little less control over. That's basically you select your demographics and, and, you know, we accept a deal. We don't really, it's not live reads or anything. It's basically, we create some, some holes in the show and the, the platforms fill the holes with, with ads. Um, the other way is just straight up direct, uh, campaigns where you, some of you who I know are on Apple devices with high household income, um, (laughs) because we see the metrics, some of you may control marketing budgets or have influence over it. Um, if you would like to hear us talk about your thing, uh, drop us a line, feedback at wheelbearings.media. And so from there, <laughs> and we'll talk, we'll talk about your thing, right? We'll talk about your thing. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a way I would dearly love to stay independent. And so this is a way that we can, we can try to do that. Um, lots of money is washing into the podcasting uh, industry after 20 years of being a joke. Now, all of a sudden, everybody from iHeartMedia to, um, you know, Spotify has discovered it and they're all pumped up with uh, VC money and um, credit lines so they can pay for really great content. But the flip side of that for a creator is that you as the creator don't necessarily own your thing. You don't have as much control over it. And I'm a control freak. So (laughs) I don't, (laughs) I don't want to work for a giant corporation. I want uh, to have a pretty direct line between us and the the listeners. And so this will help us do that. Um, So I'm going to step down off my sort of, uh, uh, shop steward soapbox and <laughs> now we can talk about cars that we're driving and we've, we've got a pretty good uh good crop um i would love to start with uh you rebecca and your story of trying to get the volkswagen atlas cross sport to understand you <laughs> yes well and thank you for all your efforts uh, we really are very grateful for the listeners but it is a lot of work and i think that that's um content creation is something that hasn't been as valued as it should have been from the very beginning. So anyway, so, okay. So I had the 2020 Atlas Cross, Volkswagen Atlas Cross Sport. There's a couple of interesting things about this vehicle. This is a five passenger version of the Atlas, which is historically a three row large, uh, it's a a big crossover. but this one only has two rows and then it has kind of this cool sloped back. So uh, the three row Atlas is a little bit more square in the back. This is a little bit more sporty uh, profile uh, along the lines of the Audi Q7 and Q8. 
kind of the same idea. And what was very interesting about this is the day that it was delivered, it was a beautiful day. And I thought, I'm going to do something that I never do and always should. And that's take pictures as soon as I get the car, because usually I'm taking pictures like five minutes before drive shop is going to show. show <laughs> <You> too, <huh? laughs> well, I, I, always, I always try to do that the day the car is delivered because then it's still clean. I know. I, I know. Wash it all, exactly. I just take so, pictures of dirty cars. <laughs> so I drove, I drove to the local beach and there was actually a family there that had the three row. And so uh, the the mom and I were chatting and because the kids ran off, they, actually the little boy came over to check out my car then too. But uh, we were comparing and one of the things that I noticed in the, the two row is that it's not significantly smaller. So you have this gigantic back back cargo area. Well, I think so, it's the same, the same overall it's length. A, it, bumper, right? right? It, it is. And so you have this gigantic back cargo. And what's cool about that is that if you don't need that third row, you can then, you know, fit so much stuff, whether it's a, a giant dog carrier, or if you just bring a lot of stuff with you, she, the woman was, she was, she was super nice. And she did say that she, she does, she only had two kids. She doesn't use the third row, folds it flat most of the time, but it's there if they need it, which I can appreciate. But if you're somebody like me that's single, or maybe has one other person, it's just not something that I would ever really do. And I like the, I like the fast back sort of look of the cross sport better. So it was a really good alternative. I was really happy with how big and how spacious this was. And it didn't drive particularly large. It was fun to drive. It was very engaging. I think I had said before um, about the Q7 that I had recently that it wasn't quite as emotionally engaging as I would like. This, the cross sport, the Atlas cross sport certainly was. It kind of was that, again, there was that Q8 sort of feel to it. So I'm driving along and listeners know that, you know, I am the worst kind of early adopter because technology hates me, but I love it. And it's like this awful, like that, like elf in, you know, where he just wants to follow his dad around and his dad doesn't want anything to do with him. That's my relationship with technology. I, I am definitely the elf. <laughs> I'm in the Atlas and it's got Android Auto, Apple CarPlay, all those good things. So I've got Android Auto activated and I wanted to go, I needed to find a local grocery store. So I put it in the local grocery store and it wouldn't give it to me. It actually, it actually said to me, speak softer. Now I'm Italian <laughs> and if you need me to yell, <laughs> I can yell. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought An Italian from the from the New York area from right? the New York area also okay so if you want me to yell I can yell out the window at you so I was perplexed by this because I actually wasn't yelling at it was close and it didn't start the bottom line was that it wouldn't it it just it turned off it basically said voice cancel so a couple of days later I'm with my brother Steve and we have to go to the post office and I thought, Steve's a big Volkswagen fan. Um, actually, my first accident was in his probably mid-70s Volkswagen Bug. Um, he was visiting from college, which means I was probably 12. And I <laughs> got into his car and played. And I didn't know what the stick in the middle was for. And I couldn't remember it if when I got in the car, it was up or down, 
but I left it down and the car rolled down the driveway and hit a tree. <laughs> we're sitting at the post office. We're at the old Greenwich post office. Yeah. And I said, you know what? I'm going to see if this infotainment system can get us to the post office because it just didn't, like it needed a specific address. We couldn't get the POIs to work. So I said, you know, let's take me to the nearest post office. And it said things like, um, be quiet, speak, speak softer. And it said things like, I, um, oh, I'm trying to remember now, but like it wanted information that I didn't have. It went into, it, it went into um, um, the telephone book. And so then I was like, okay, I'm going to go into navigation. And I don't know if we should have said, give us POIs. We just, it was just strange to me that you can't say things like, take me to the nearest post office. So, and then, yes. It, does it have natural language processing? Like, is it supposed to be able to do that? Or do you, because, no. Steve, well, Steve also said like post office. And it was like, because then we started making videotapes. Right. And so, <laughs> so, th so then we have, we have three different, uh, three, tapes of us talking and trying to get this thing to take us anywhere, really. At one point, it instead pulled up the name of probably the most famous person in India in my book, in my phone, <laughs> in my contact book. Like it, it, it said, do you want to call this person? And I was like, oh my gosh, no. So I took post office for Narendra, uh, Modi? Narendra Modi? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it really was so incredibly random and then so then we took out so then i i used it without android auto so that was just so that was all that was with android auto that was with android auto oh, I see. so you were you were trying to get android auto which which should have natural language processing right it, it, it should so, have been so, so, yes so the first the first time we did this was with android auto the second time i disconnected android auto and had the exact same experience we tried then to find the POI. So then we played with the system a little bit more and it shows the icon of the post office, but it won't actually, you can't actually like point to it, touch it. Like it just says, it just says you're near a post. It doesn't, you can't get to it. And it was just, it was perplexing. It was perplexing. There was so many other good things about it. It was nothing like the Mazda CX-9 issues that I had. This actually could change the radio station and, and things, but just the, the navigation part of it, it didn't matter if I had Android Auto activated or if I did not, we couldn't get it to yeah. work. One thing you might want to consider doing is going in, going into your Google account settings because um, it saves the, when you use Google Assistant, it, sa it saves the, the voice clips, the audio clips in there for a while. Okay. And you might want to go in and just like go to that date and listen to the voice clips and see what they sound like. See, because it, given that it was doing this with both Android Auto and with the, the embedded voice recognition system, I wonder if maybe there was an issue with the microphone um, or, or the audio system somehow in the vehicle that was mangling the sound of your voice and, and that's what was hmm. confusing it. It was very frustrating, obviously. It was funny in some ways. And again, we're, we were parked outside the post office. I can't imagine trying, actually, I can't imagine trying to do this while I was driving because I was trying to find something. And maybe I just am expecting things from it that it's not designed to do. 
so it went with Android Auto, do I have to do something to activate Google Assistant or does that, is that happening already? Well, I mean, you'll, you'll see when you're in Android Auto, you know, if it's, if it's actually using Assistant and most on most vehicles, and we talked about this with the Mazda before, mm -hmm. you know, on some vehicles like the Mazdas, when you press the voice button, it will just automatically trigger Assistant. In other okay. cases, you do a long press on the voice button. So if you do a, a short press, um, you know, a quick press on it, you know, then it'll trigger the embedded voice recognition. Right. And I can't remember what Volkswagen does. I, I've actually got a cross port coming next week, but um, well, it, it may be that you have to do a long press to trigger a system. But you'll see if on the screen, you'll see the, the little thing. The, you'll see the little icon for the Google right. Assistant pop up and you'll see it the little waves in there uh, if, if it's using assistant and okay. the embedded voice recognition. Did you have the two liter or the, the V6? So I had the V6, it's a 3.6 liter V6 engine, eight speed automatic, really liked it. You know, it was great power. Uh, this one, it was the SEL premium R line goes for about 52,000. So this is, you know, there's a, there's a broad Jesus. range in this. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, the, I think the, I think the cross the, it starts around 30. So for the cross sport. Um, so there's, there's a lot of options that you can, you can build up to, you know, it got pretty good fuel economy in that, in that mid 20 range. I mean, low, low 20 range. I'm driving both on the highway and around town. It was quiet. You know, I, there was, again, there was things that I really liked about it. I, and certainly, you know, I love the flexibility of so much room in the back. Again, I, I prefer that kind of more fastback sort of style to it. So if you need three rows, it's there. Um, you know, the other, the other version is there, but I liked the idea of kind of the sporty look and feel, um, and really, you know, just overall, I thought it was really good. Once again, like the the Mazda though, the infotainment system just really let me down, which is a shame because like the graphics are great on it. It's got this really cool, um, this think blue and you know, it has the, it'll show you your, your driving score, which mine was 93 out of a hundred. Thank you. Wow. And so it does, you know, there's, I like the layout of it. There's quite a bit of black plastic in the black interior. And I would love to see Volkswagen either upgrade that or break that up a little bit with some open pore wood, a little bit softer feel, you know, like so many others have done, because it's it's just a lot of a lot of black plastic. Um, but you know, it's durable for sure, and you don't have to worry about it. You can wipe everything down. And um, it. I had quite a small sunroof compared to other vehicles. Um, I just finished with the uh, Volvo XC60, and that the, it's like the entire roof is a sunroof. It's amazing. The other thing is the front camera uh, and the front bumper and front grill just below the big Volkswagen emblem, it sticks out about two inches. It's really odd, and it's like it's it looks like such an afterthought. It's like Somebody went, oh crap, we forgot to put that in. <laughs> Let's just stick it right there. Dos camera. <laughs> it, just, <laughs> it just sticks out a lot. It was really odd because <laughs> it was not integrated at all. Like it literally looks like somebody went, oh, we forgot. So, you know, again, overall, I think that, that I certainly enjoyed driving it. Um, 
you know, a lot of times when we have these different vehicles, you kind of look and think, oh gosh, I've got to go and drive that thing. Um, with this, it was like, oh great, I get to go drive it. So it's a positive feeling from that standpoint. But, you know, again, I just think there's there are some improvements that can be made. Well, you know, I think just like the big Atlas, the three-row, um, Volkswagen has done a really good job making a Grand Cherokee with this. Yeah. Like it just, every time I see one, I just, uh, it looks just like that was their benchmark for style at least. Um, and the, the cross sport looks a little bit more aggressive. You know, it's, it's got bigger flares on it or, or they just appear more prominent. Um, and it does like the sporty profile. It, it looks sharp. There's not a whole lot of greenhouse. So how was visibility? Visibility was actually surprisingly good. Yeah, I didn't really have any issues with that. I mean, I I don't mind. Well, first of all, the 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 whole cabin had a had a nice airy feel to it. So I could get into the driving position that I wanted comfortably. I could see the visibility was good. The side mirrors, I would have liked to have had a little bit of a of a break uh between the a pillar and the and the vehicle how they have some of them some of the manufacturers just they almost like prop out the the mirror a little bit so you have a little bit of a of a of a view um in between the mirror and the car but that and that was only just occasionally there's certain uh there's some specific turns that i need to make on the way to my sister's house that it's just a tricky, it's this kind of like almost like a hairpin left turn. And sometimes that it's just gets in the way a little bit, but otherwise, you know, I, I certainly, again, I didn't have the types of issues that I had with the CX nine where I, you know, I couldn't get comfortable. The, the sun, the, the windshield is because it's so, it's so sharply dramatically sloped that the a pillar often it's like i hit my heads practically i didn't have those kinds of issues with the atlas so i think it was overall it was just a it was a nice vehicle i really enjoyed it and you had the um it had the uh the instrument panel that's an led right the, yes yeah. yeah which was cool yeah so you know the, again the interior the only issue that I had with the interior was just, I would like to see more variation in the black, uh, you know, in, in the, the materials of it, the graphics and everything were excellent. So from that standpoint, it was a very modern, it had a very modern feel, you know, the digital cockpit that they've put in um, again, kind of similar to what they've done with Audi is, is really forward thinking. And, and from, from, again, from that standpoint, it's got a great look to it. It's just that voice thing will be really interesting to see if that's the problem. If you can't get the stupid nav to work, you can't put the, the map in front of you. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but it's, it's a really, uh, it's a good shot in the um, family crossover SUV uh, market. You know, I think that Volkswagen really has pinned a lot of, a lot of hopes on this. Um, and I wonder, well, I mean, the, the Atlas has been doing really well for yeah. them so far. Well, I mean, it's a you great product as a family buyer. Like I, if it had existed in 2013, when we bought our Jeep, I would have seriously considered it. Well, it's a perfect Gen X. It, it's, it's a Gen X brand, first of all. Yeah, that's true. And right. And, oh, you know what? Let me look. Oh, so the other thing too, in the, in the center console in the front, there was actually room enough in there for my bag, which is like a small knapsack, um, but it fit really nicely in there, which I loved. The other thing, 
and I'm looking at the steering wheel right now. It does not have a hang up the phone button on the steering wheel. And that drives me well, crazy. Kind of I mean, there, there's, an, there's a button to answer the phone, right? No. Really? Not at all? No. There's you have to no, hit the touch screen? You have to do the touch screen. There's no buttons related to the phone. It's probably, yeah, because I remember driving and, and having to reach over to answer and to hang up, which is a problem if the screen changes while you're on the phone, because yeah. then you, you know, you're flipping through. So, um, yeah, because I'm looking at the screen right now, I'm looking at the steering wheel and I remembered there was a, I, I thought this is the vehicle that I had that didn't have a hang up button. Um, and remember, I think it was, um, one, a Honda did this as well. And then they ended up putting it back. So it might be the okay, the multifunctional okay button. Um, like it is in the Volvo that I have right now, but it's, it's, I prefer a dedicated pick up and hang up buttons on the steering wheels. I think that's much safer than having a multifunction button that does it. Nothing more to say. Shall we move on? Nothing more to say. Alba. I'm, I'm done for the night. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, Sam, what do you got? Uh, so I had the 2021 Toyota GR Supra. Um, finally, finally got to drive the Supra. Um, and, uh, I liked it a lot. Really? Gosh, this, I this, can't imagine. Can't imagine why. This is a, this is a great <laughs> sports car. Isn't it great uh, looking? Everybody yeah. gives like, I mean, not everybody, but you, you see this sort of like, uh, chatter that goes on about the way it looks and, and whatever. I don't know. Every time I see one in person, it's, it's really striking. It's a really good looking it, car. It is. I mean, you know, I think. The the fake vents in the in the front fenders and you know in front of the rear wheels, uh, I think you know I would have preferred if they actually had you know air passing through them, um, but you know aside from that the rest of it you know I think it's a great shape I mean it's a classic you know sports car proportions you know it's a two seater as as a proper sports car should be you know with the cab way back engine out front. Um, it's rear wheel drive. It, it shares its architecture with the BMW Z4. Uh, the reason Toyota was able to justify bringing the Supra back is they did a deal with BMW and they collaborated on the, this architecture for the, the latest gen Z4 and the, uh, the Supra. Um, they share a lot of hardware underneath. They, you know, they share the same, they use the BMW powertrain, the, the three liter inline six. And, um, for 2021, they also added a, a two liter turbo, uh, four cylinder as the base engine. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the BMW three liter six is just such a wonderful engine. I've always loved BMW six cylinders. They're great engines. Um, they sound great. Uh, makes lots of power for for 2021. They updated or they upgraded the engine. Uh, last year it was 335 horsepower and 365, I think, foot pounds of torque. Um, and uh, this year it's up to 382 horsepower and 380 or 368 foot pounds. Um, the base four cylinders 255 and 295. And from from what I've heard from people who have driven the four cylinder version, that one's also, I mean, I, I've, I've driven, you know, that BMW two liter in a variety of vehicles and yeah, you know, it's a great engine as well, but the six is just, it's just lovely. It's a fantastic <laughs> sports car engine. Um, you know, the, uh, one, you know, 
as somebody that, you know, I'm 5'11", um, one thing that was a little annoying is, you know, the way the roof line is shaped, uh, you do have to duck your head down quite a bit. You know, the, the, the door opening is fairly small, and it's easy to whack your head on the, the top of the door opening <laughs> as you're getting in and out. Uh, more so as you, more so as I was getting in than getting out. Um, but, you know, once you're in, you know, visibility actually is not as bad as you would think. Uh, you know, straight out the back, you know, there's a nice large window in the back. Uh, and, you know, to the sides and the front, you know, good visibility. The seats in this thing are fantastic. Lots of, uh, you know, lots of lateral support. They're very comfortable. Um, unfortunately, you cannot get a manual transmission in this thing. So only uh, the, the ZF 8-speed automatic, uh, which is, a, you know, it's also a good transmission. But, and it's got paddle shifters. Uh, but I, I would love to have a, I would love to try one of these with a manual gearbox in it. Um, you know, when you get in, you know, from, from the outside, you know, it looks nothing like a Z4. You know, the styling is completely distinct. Once you get inside... You see the BMW heritage. Um, you know it's got iDrive. You know the shapes of the dashboard and everything are are very familiar. Contemporary BMW. Nothing wrong with that. You know. I um, mean, would you rather have iDrive or Entune? Oh, no, no question, no question at all. Right? That's I'll, a great I'll question. Take, I will take this. You know, 120 times out of 100. Um, you know the uh, the uh, the graphics on the screen. And and the uh, instrument cluster, you know, been tweaked, you know, so it's got a little bit different look. Uh, you know, basically just reskinned uh, the BMW systems, but it's the same system, which works well. You know, I've no complaints about it. Um, the you know this uh, the one I drove, uh, you know, was on these gorgeous 19-inch uh, ten-spoke wheels, uh, really fantastic-looking wheels. Um, the, the Supra has a nice big hatch in the back. So, the, you know, the, the cargo area is fairly shallow, um, but it, you do have this large opening there. So it's easy to put stuff in and out. Uh, and you can actually, uh, you know, it's got passed through straight to the, the passenger compartment. Uh, there's a cargo cover, you know, to hide stuff away. Um, so it's not, it's not a huge trunk, but it's, it's reasonably sized for a sports car. And, you know, I took this thing out and just went out and drove for a few hours uh, out in the countryside and just had a ball with this thing. It was it was so much fun to drive. Uh, it starts uh, for 2021. Uh, Sam, uh, would you ever put snow tires on something like this for the um, winter time? Yeah, yeah, I would, uh, you know, because, you know, I certainly wouldn't want to have it as my only vehicle in the winter yeah. time. Uh, yeah. But, you know, when there's, you know, when it's cold or there's light snow on the ground, I would absolutely put snow tires on it and, and drive it in the wintertime. Uh, obviously the, you know, the limited ground clearance, you know, if the snow's deep, you're not yeah. going to get anywhere, even if you've got <laughs> so the best tires in the world. Um, so that's why, you know, I, I would not want to have it as my exclusive vehicle in the wintertime. But um, I would I would absolutely drive this thing year round uh, with the right tires on it. And are there plans? Has there ever been a convertible? There has never been a super convertible. In yeah, I was looking back uh, at, and mm. I doubt oh, no, that they're right. going to do one. I was going to say uh, uh, there was the Celica one. Sun Chaser, which was <gasps> aftermarket, but yes, not, and uh, and that's all we need to say about that one. <laughs> yeah. um, the Sun chased it away. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was ASC that built that, I think. Um, I think it, yeah, I think it was. It was yeah. either ASC or Cars and Concepts. 
Yeah. One of those two. They they did they did all the convertible conversions in that in those days in the mid eighties, early mid eighties. Yeah. Um but the uh yeah, the two liter Supra starts at forty three thousand. Um the uh the three liter starts at fifty one. Uh the one I drove <clears throat> with the sorted options and it didn't have a lot of options on it. It had the driver assist package, which was about two grand or uh, twelve hundred dollars. Um it four hundred and twenty five dollars for the uh uh the metro yellow uh, or nitro yellow sorry nitro yellow um and um you know that's about it and the bottom line price came to fifty seven one forty five uh including delivery so you know it's you know it's not cheap <clears throat> but um it for you know for you know under sixty grand uh, you know, it's it's very competitive. You know, with any other sports car, you know, with this kind of performance level. It's more. Did you have the eight ninety one edition or the three point premium? Uh, the three point premium. Yeah, there's not much yeah. to complain about with the Supra, other than I mean, you could argue that it really needs a manual, but I kind of think it doesn't really. <laughs> well, I mean, who's buying it, right? Like, is this? I mean, do we know? Do we have demographics on who's buying this at all? Um, I have not seen any. Yeah. Well, cause it's what, you know, it's a brand that, I mean, so it's a, it's a nameplate that again, like Gen Xers like us are, are, you know, we have fond memories of this, but does it resonate with younger I, buyers I, I, at all? I think, I think, you know, the super name actually probably does resonate with some younger buyers who are fans of you fast know, and Japanese furious kind of thing yeah fast okay. and furious uh, games. Uh, yeah. you know the the old jdm's uh gtrs um you know the certainly you know the the fourth the previous generation the fourth generation uh and actually even the third generation supras from the late 80s early 90s um you know are very popular among that crowd you know that, that are okay. into those jdm sports cars so it's really it's then i would I wish they had a manual then. Yeah, I, mean, I do too. But I mean, re the reality is that, you know, if they had a manual, they probably wouldn't sell. Right. They would probably be lucky to sell a thousand of them a year. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, it's just, it's hard. You can't justify the expense. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing enough that, you know, in this day and age, they built this car at all. Right. Um, you know, so you know, to to justify putting a manual in it as well for such low volumes would just be really, really hard to do. Yeah, well, and yeah, I think that that's, you know, that's an interesting pattern with Toyota and their sports cars is there is no pure Toyota sports car. They partnered for the, um, well, it was- The 86? Started, yeah, it started, I was going to say it started as the FRS, but the 86, um, there's a lot of Subaru in it. And then this would not exist if it weren't for BMW. Um I don't know that that's a bad thing, um, but it does lead to some kind of snarky comments. <laughs> um, I do wonder how distinct the Supra is versus the, the Z4. Um, well, I, I haven't driven the current generation Z4, but, you know, from what I've heard, it actually does feel fairly distinct. You know, they once, you know, once they developed the architecture, you know, BMW and Toyota engineers basically went their separate ways and did their own suspension tuning on it, uh, on each one. And, and they do, from from what I've heard, actually feel fairly distinct from each other. And they the, don't, and it does, this, the Z4 is a convertible too. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's that is another you know that's another you know important distinction between the yeah. two. And and it's you know the BMW is only a convertible, whereas this one is only a coupe. Right. You know, we're going to see more of this kind of collaboration anyway. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, I think they've done a good job of, of personalizing it and customizing it for their brand. And that's the, you know, the most important part when you're doing these kinds of collaborations is what is, what does the consumer see? And, you know, I think when we think about the, um, the Fiat, um, the 124, yeah. Yeah. right, you know, not as much. I mean, this, the, these two, this, the, the Z4 and the Supra, I think I, uh, they are, they are two different animals, certainly from the, from the outside and to the buyer. And I think if they share some, you know, technology that allows them to put these vehicles out there, then go for it. I think it's a good idea. Yeah, you know, I, let's put it this way. I would rather that, you know, automakers collaborate and share some components and be able to offer cars like this at all. Right. And to not have them, you know, even, even if, you know, even if there is, you know, more in common between these two vehicles, than you might prefer, I'd still rather be in that position than the position of not having either one of them. Exactly. Yes, for sure. So, I mean, that's, that's the kind of like said natural end. I mean, building cars is a, it's an expensive undertaking and, um, sports cars even more so because they don't sell in the volume that something like a you know Camry or um, a three series sells in. So it's expensive to do if they can say, sort of pool their resources and come up with something that that's distinctive and, and the way they've sort of kept the two cars a little bit different. Uh, it, it, it works for everyone, especially uh, us consumers who will actually buy them. So, right. And, you know, in, in addition to the collaboration between BMW and Toyota, they also, you know, went to Magna to actually do assembly. Both the, the BMW and the Toyota are built at Magna Stier in uh, Graz, Austria. Um, you know, and Magna, you know, specializes in doing lower volume contract production work. Graz, that's the that's the old G-Fogen plant, isn't it? That was that's where the yep. yeah. Look at all yeah, that history. Where, yeah, and Vanigans. I think Vanigans came out of the same same <laughs> lot, Lots of stuff has come out of there over the years. They, yeah, Graz, that's a great Graz, factory. Graz also builds the you know the mag the Magna plant there builds um, the Jaguar I Pace. Um, they built. They Are they still doing the, Porsche? Um, not anymore. Okay. Uh, Porsches insource those now, uh, but they they built the first generation BMW X3 there. They build the BMW or the Mini Countryman is built there. Um, they have built uh, cars for Chrysler for the European market. They used to build Grand Cherokees and uh, mm -hmm. and caravans. I was there caravans, the right? The, the diesel caravans came out of there. Yep. Oh, wow. Inside baseball. <laughs> <laughs> uh, those are the kind of details that are fun, though. Um, yeah. So, all right. Are we good with the, the Supra? Yep. All right. I'm good with it. I'll take one. <laughs> I mean, it's that or the, the Atlas Cross Sport with navigation that doesn't even understand you. So, yeah, I mean, when you're in a Supra, who cares if the system doesn't understand you? You right? just drive anyway. Get me lost, go, please. Go wherever the road takes you. Right. Well, you, you wind up in Canada if you're not careful. I know. I'm so demanding that I want it to take me to the post office. I mean, I got to get over that. You've only been in Greenwich for how long? You should know where it is. Um, all right, so I had a couple of things. Uh, I've spent less time in the 2021 Cadillac CT5. Uh, so 
I'll start with that and just briefly say this is the best Cadillac I've ever driven. Uh, it's, it's a really good car. I think it's the 350T, I think is the um, power level or, or whatever. It's got the, the V6. The 2-liter? No, this is the, the V6. So it's, what is it, a 3-liter? Uh, yeah, it's a 3-liter. Uh, well, it's a twin-turbo V6, right? So yeah, so I it's a 3-liter. So. so I think that's a 550. Oh, maybe it's 550, and I just glanced it out the window uh, yeah. quickly. Uh, either way, there's lots of power. Uh, it doesn't doesn't want for power. It's not as quite as powerful as like the old CTS-V was, but it, it's a little bit more responsible in that sense. Well, the uh, Blackwing's coming for that. That's true. Um, but it's it's just it's really really well tuned. It, I was telling somebody the other day it's it's the best three series they've ever made. Um, <laughs> And Rare. what? No, I mean it's it's a good way. They've spent so long chasing those those cars, right? The three series and the five series, and they're they're making cars that dynamically, probably actually could could run neck and neck. Um, the problem is really like the market just doesn't care anymore. They've got to focus more on their their crossovers and SUVs, which are also good. Uh, but what I liked about the the CT five is that. It doesn't have the NVH troubles that uh, you find in the smaller crossovers, like the XT4, um, which is really fun to drive, but it just it it feels a little bit too edgy for I think that the buyer. Yeah, needs. it needs some insulation. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> the CT5, at least in this trim, there's definitely some engine burble, and it's it, I go back and forth. It sounds good when you are working it hard. Other times, I just really wanted to shut up. Um, so it kind of has that sort of like dual personality like the VQ V6 does in, in some cars where uh, it it's great when you are making it do its thing and otherwise it's just a little too loud and, and doesn't doesn't sound quite as graceful as like that BMW inline six would sound. Mm. It doesn't sound bad, but it's just... I, you know, it's not, it's not like there's, it's, it, you know, the noise and vibration, the vibration and harshness, totally fine, totally under control. It's the noise part that, um, you know, it was a little bit taken aback by. We'll see how, how I do with it for the rest of the week, but. Um, well, and you, but you know, you, when you think about like, like I was just thinking about the Aston Martin that I had driven, like, and that's a big engine, but there, there, you do want it to still be elegant like that gracefulness of like when you're even when you're sitting there when you're not using the engine it still needs to feel good it needs to have a resonance to it and not be like okay enough you know yeah i think that's that's part of it i guess is like it's not just the sound it's the quality of the sound oh for sure you know they have cylinder deactivation too which messes with the rhythm of the the pulses so that's that's something that they're going to have to tune for, you know, sonically. Uh, so yeah, I, I understand the challenges and like, that's such a small thing to, to really be carping about. So, um, I, I, that's more of a personal observation. It, it does not mar the experience. It's a really good looking car. It's very comfortable. The infotainment is, is really well done and good to use. Yay. Um, you know, there's a couple of knobs. There's one for tuning and one for volume, which is nice. And they... there's actually three volume knobs. Oh, there's three. Oh, yeah. There's there's one that's up on the uh, just below the touchscreen. Yeah. There's one that's down on the console next to the the large controller, 
and then and then you've got the the uh, the controller the volume controller on the steering wheel on the steering wheel spoke yeah uh, and uh, that large control knob is nice too it it like you know their materials and um, uh, color folks or whatever the division is called at GM um, the folks that that pick the color and trench yeah um, the stuff you touch feels good and it feels <laughs> and that's important in a Cadillac especially you know you don't want to. You don't you don't want to necessarily be grabbing the same dials as you are in in uh, in a cruise, um, and this stuff feels special enough, at, at least especially that large controller knob, and it's it's intuitive to use. So I was impressed with that. Uh, I, I liked the just sort of getting in and and customizing it to my preferences was easy. I didn't swear at it much. Uh, <laughs> so all of those things are, are good, and I'll, I'll have to spend a little well bit done, more time you. with it. Um, <laughs> Uh, the the car I spent the most time this week with was the the 2021 uh, Subaru Crosstrek Sport, and so I mean we've talked about the Crosstrek before. It's been around a while, so we know kind of the charms that it has. The Sport is a new model. It has a different look. It's the Crosstrek has gotten its mid-cycle refresh. So the nose is a little different, um, and the Sport has uh, some different uh, seat trim. Uh, I forget exactly what it's called off the top of my head, but um, there it's not leather. It's not, you know, vinyl. It's a special kind of. Um, oh, it's their of, vegan, um, their vegan option. Yeah, it's got the vegan seats. Yes. The <laughs> vegan seats. <laughs> um, and it's, you know, it has all those Subaru charms. And I, I, so what really struck me was um, sometimes, you know, when you, you hit your early forties, you struggle with like, feeling anything because you've spent so many years just uh, having steely resolve. And so you have to do things that are mildly irresponsible to have any emotion at all, like drive in torrential downpours at night. Um, <laughs> and, and, okay. So, and so, so I know this is a sad little tale, right? Like I just don't what, feel what our, for, what for our Patreon is. <laughs> so many things to say. Go ahead, Rebecca. Well, I, I just want to say one quick thing for for those for those of us listening for those of you listening to this, keep in mind that Dan is by a, a pretty good margin the youngest of the three of us. I'm 43. Yes, he is. I'm four. I just turned 43. Okay. And, and wait, what was your birthday? Did we miss your birthday? Uh, I was in November. No, I'm a Scorpio, ah. um, which I'm sure is not a shock to anybody. But uh, you know you. You just like you you spend your twenties getting established. You spend your thirties just freaking surviving, and then like you look up and you're like, oh my god, um, I don't have like like it, it's almost like um like an addict, right? Like just it just takes more to get that get that zip. Um, this is God. This sounds dark, and it's not what I mean. Um, all I'm trying to say is that sometimes you like to do things like drive in the worst weather. Uh, like I love driving in snow. Why? Because like. It's not because it's like an adrenaline thing, like surfing or, or something would be. Um, it's more of like it's a mastery thing, like um, like a musician playing for for a crowd, which we can't do right now. Um, <laughs> but you you get to go there and you like you're working your muscle memory, um, and so uh, you need a car that's going to support that. And so here's where I'm bringing it full circle to the Subaru. Uh, the the Crostic is a really good partner for any of those like inclement weather hijinks that you want to, you want to do. Cause I, I tend to like cars that are a little evil handling. And um, the reason why is because 
they make you concentrate. It's it's it it kind of requires like, some some degree of of skill and precision to and engagement. Yeah, uh, yeah, to keep right. it in control. And that's why I mean that's why people like motorcycles, which I will I will certainly perish if I do that. So um, <laughs> I I will keep it on four wheels. But you know the Subaru itself is just it's a solid uh, platform. It it's not evil handling, and it's just really uh, stable and steady. And just a friendly car to drive. Um, you know, I'm, I'm still not a huge fan of their their Starlink or, uh, infotainment, but it's better here than it is in something like the Legacy, uh, probably because the, the Crosstrek hasn't been updated yet. Um, so I expect that it'll get that, that newer Subaru system at some point, and I'll complain more. But uh, this, this current system is, is pretty good. And, you know, it's, it's a handy hatchback. It's a good size. It's pretty roomy. Uh, front and back seats. Um, we, we took it to get the Christmas tree, so that was fun. Um, cause it has integral, um, uh, roof rails and, you know, Subaru has a lot of clever options for that, that lifestyle buyer. You know, it's a brand that people with dogs love because they're, they're, they've thoughtfully, uh, created options for you where you can get the dog cage, you can get the ramps, uh, for the dogs to get in the car. Um, it, it is a, a go anywhere, do anything car. That's not necessarily an SUV. So, uh, it's a, it's a friendly car for my, my dark little, uh, late night <laughs> Experts <laughs> in the rain. Uh, we had torrential downpours here last week, and it was just it was it was nice and gloomy, and I enjoyed it. So the the the, fra- the phrase that I like to use for what Dan was just describing was old enough to know better, young enough not to care. <laughs> right. The only thing you have to watch out for is when it's windy, like it was. You know, it's like is, is a tree branch going to fall on me? Because um, you know they're heavier than they look. Yeah, we've had some bad storms. Yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah, that's funny. Um, so yeah, sorry. To, <laughs> d- didn't mean to bring Eeyore into the podcast. But, um, all right. Especially Subaru, like the brand of love. <laughs> well, I did. I loved driving the car in shitty weather. It was nice. It was fun. I didn't want to like stop. So you know, it's one of those things. Like I, I will. I remember doing this. Like just like. Uh, especially coming home or like going home from college on winter break or driving back to school once winter break was over, you know, I'm in, I'm in new England. I went to school North of where I grew up. So I would invariably be driving into, you know, worse weather. And usually I would leave late. So I'd be driving like at night on the the highway. And so you just, you know, you got to take it easy when it's snowing and you just, so you just, moving along at like 40 miles an hour it's, it's plowed enough for you to just do that and you just you just relax you know you turn the seat heaters on you play around with well, AM. james taylor no no, no. like I, what i would do to keep myself awake is i would just see like how far away can i pick up um on am because am at night skips across the ionosphere so you could easily in new england pick up uh quebec um, and then, you know, nice. you try to like translate the French, which they speak way too fast to make it work. So that's <laughs> other people do fun things. These are the things I do for fun. So. <laughs> um, oh, my gosh. Yeah, I think I feel like that's a real like this is a plea for uh, listener feedback. You tell us what kind of weird crap you do for fun. <laughs> Maybe I'll find new hobbies. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Two days ago, Hyundai announced their new uh, dedicated electric vehicle platform. And this is the first one they've ever done that is purely for battery electric vehicles. Um, when they did the first generation Ionic and Nero a few years back, that one was a, an electrified platform. When And they had um, hybrid, plug-in hybrid and battery electric versions, variants of that, uh, of those two vehicles. This time around, they've developed a completely battery electric only architecture that uh, is going to be used. Their plant was at 23 uh, battery electric models between now and 2025 across um, all their brands, Hyundai, Kia, Genesis. And also, uh, this is the platform they're going to use for the robo-taxi they're developing with Motional, which is their joint venture for automated vehicles with Aptiv. The first two models off of this, what they're calling EGMP, their electric global modular platform, uh, are going to be the Ionic 5, which is a, a compact to midsize crossover. So, you know, roughly RAV4, Tucson size. Um, and then there's going to be a Kia as well, which they haven't given any details on. But I think it's fairly reasonable to assume that it is going to be... Um, uh, a replacement for the Nero that is based on the Habanero concept we saw last in 2019 at the New York Auto Show, and which was a really cool-looking um, compact crossover concept uh, that was all electric. <laughs> and uh, you know, I think it'd be a if they if they build something that looks like that, you know, I think it'd be really cool for the the Kia brand. But there's there's some interesting stuff they're doing with this one. You know, it's uh, like like everybody else. It's not a pure skateboard chassis like what you see from Rivian and some other some other companies, because you know the the suspension and everything is not it's not it's not a rolling chassis with the suspension and motors and everything. It's the the battery pack and everything is still tied to a, a unibody structure, but it's one that's designed specifically to be an EV. Um, but uh, you know they can scale the battery pack up and down, put more more um, modules in it it's a standard module format they can put more or less depending on 
the application and you know the price point and performance that they need base rear wheel drive so this is actually a lot like the vw meb architecture uh so the the base configurations rear motor rear wheel drive and then optional front uh, dual motor all-wheel drive uh, and uh, uh, interestingly it's a it's an 800 volt architecture so it's going to support 350 kilowatt charging they say you know it'll do it'll charge up to 80 percent in about 18 minutes uh, 350 kilowatts it'll in five minutes you can add 60 miles to it <clears throat> so uh, you know it should be a very practical vehicle uh, for road trips it's really that's that's a fantastic charging time because yeah i mean then then you you can conquer a lot of the infrastructure issues that we face today with longer mm -hmm. charging times and uh they put you know a lot of emphasis on efficiency with this thing so they're you know they're saying that the the top range is going to be a little over 300 miles so you know they're not trying to go down this 500 mile range route like tesla and lucid but you know, I think the, their philosophy, you know, when they did the first generation Ionic Electric, you know, they talked a lot about focusing on efficiency as well, which is why they limited the range, you know, to keep a smaller, lighter battery pack, which um, while, you know, limited the range to about 125, 130 miles, it was, it was a lot more efficient. It was also more cost effective. And I think that's what they're trying to do here is find a good balance of enough range and you know a lot of efficiency so you get you get plenty of range you know from the minimal amount of battery pack possible um they're also uh and so part of that uh they're using um silicon carbide power electronics which uh so far uh tesla was the first manufacturer to do that and uh hyundai is going to be the first mainstream incumbent manufacturer to do that what does that mean so sorry. The, power, the power electronics, <laughs> that's your inverter. So your battery stores electricity and direct current. It, it produces, it puts out direct current. Um, the motors are alternating current, uh, which are more efficient. Um, okay. So that's like what comes out of your, out of your outlet. That's what comes from the grid is alternating current. Okay. And so the power electronics module switches back and forth between AC and DC. Um, and there's always some losses associated with that conversion, that power conversion between AC and DC. Mo almost all EVs today, except for Teslas, use silicon switches in the power electronics, just pure silicon. Um, what Tesla did was they went to something called silicon carbide, which is more efficient. And it adds, it can, it can give you about 3 to 5% more range. So um, yeah, but why is it pack size. why is it more efficient? Can it handle more heat, or is it? Uh, does there, there's 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 less heating heat generated. Yeah. So um, you know, uh, less less of the power that you put through it is converted into heat. I see. So it, um, it just it it yeah the the power goes in and out versus heats it up. Yeah. Got it. Yep. <laughs> um, and then one other uh, interesting tidbit about this thing is um, it's got bi-directional charging capability, which means that you'll be able to plug stuff into it and get power out of it, get up to three and a half kilowatts out of it. So if you have a power outage at your house, you could plug into your car and you know power your refrigerator or your microwave or your various other stuff off your car. I love that. I think that's super cool. One of the thing, I mean, it's, it's we've talked about this before the challenge of the ev is to 
explain or to justify to people why this is a better solution than an internal combustion engine. And we as an industry have not done a good job of that. But, you know, the idea that this has 310 miles of range, that you can charge it up, you know, and, and sort of, you know, spot charge, if you will, uh, getting, you know, 60 more miles, uh, it, you know, quickly, all of that makes it a more traditional ownership experience, which is what we have to try and work towards in order to facilitate deployment of these vehicles. Because right now, people say the internal combustion engine is, it's familiar, it's working perfectly adequately. Uh, you know, we're, we're more fuel efficient than we've ever been. And people don't see why they should have to or that why they should want to change over to an EV, you know, in their minds, it saves the environment, but then there's other aspects to it. Maybe it doesn't save the environment if you're producing dirty electricity or in California where they're turning off electricity during, you know, fires or to prevent fires and such. So there's a lot of challenges here, but I think that this is a good combination of, of a, of a very suitable range. Most cars have a range, have a gas tank range of 300 miles. And it's about, you know, a little bit longer than a trip to a gas station, but not that much. <laughs> you know, if you could, if you can completely recharge or recharge us to 80% in what was it in 18 minutes? Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, maybe you buy a scratch off lottery ticket and, you know, <laughs> sit there and do that while you're at a convenience station. Oh, have you ever been behind those guys <laughs> buying all the scratch tickets? My God. <laughs> especially if you're on your phone so yeah. i think that this is you know i love that combination i'd rather you know 500 miles is great that's an amazing range but we've lived for decades with 300 miles being sort of the standard the thing that i've always said for years while i've been working on evs is the charging if we get the charging infrastructure if we get the charging times down to as if you were going to the gas station that's one of the biggest barriers. And and that's, you know, I think that's one of the interesting choices that Hyundai's made is to make the 800 volt architecture uh, as the standard setup for this platform. So GM with its Altium system, mm -hmm. they're, you know, they're going to have a couple of different variants. You know, they're going to have vehicles that have a 400 volt system and some that have 800 volts. So the bigger vehicles like the Hummers and the, the trucks and so on, they're going to have 800 volt systems in them but um you know vehicles like the cadillac lyric are going to have 400 volts so they're going to be limited to about 150 kilowatt charging uh which is less than half of what the 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 800 volt systems will do and the fact that hyundai has chosen to do that as the baseline across all the variants i think is, is an interesting choice you know so they're trying to make it as convenient as possible what's the um Sort of like, what's the price range that they're they're looking to to cover with these? They have not said um, what the you know. I mean, next sometime we'll probably in the spring or so we'll we'll uh, see we'll see the reveal of the Ionic Five, um, and uh, that's that's when we'll have a better idea. My guess is that um, they're probably going to aim for a starting price in the mid thirties. That's not really that expensive. No, <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, and 
at least for for a time uh you know hyundai is still going to be eligible for um you know the 700 $7, federal tax credit and whatever state uh credits are available um you know they still are, are they're not at their 200,000 limit yet uh so that'll help um well, and depends on what gas prices do as well, whether it makes yeah. sense, you know, if gas prices go up, this is going to be a better deal in yeah, potentially. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and Hyundai is aiming to be selling a million EVs a year by 2025. That's their, that's their target. That's super ambitious. That's 48 months away. Yes. Yeah. Well, okay. that's, that's the same, that's the same target that GM has. Um, actually, GM's Hyundai's target is a million EVs a year globally in 2025. GM a couple of weeks ago said they're aiming for a million a year in the U.S. Wow! By 2025, I mean globally, a million is doable out of 90 million cars that yeah. are sold. So that's possible for Hyundai to do. In the states here, again, you know, a lot, a lot. It depends. There's a lot of changes demographically that are going on in the next five years. Well, yeah, and, but you know, we're we're going to start seeing EVs coming into a lot of new market segments where they've never been before as well. Right. But a million a year, even with like November's sales rate, which was like 15 something million. So that's like what? 15% of the market by 2025. Actually, you know, uh, no, actually I think the GM target was a million a year globally. It wasn't, it wasn't just for North America. So it's, it's, it's going to be split mainly between the U S and China. So probably half a million here. I mean, that's that's relatively easy to do with China with the regulations that they have in place. And it's a 20 million, 22 million market, unit market every year, 24 now. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, when you think, you know, it wasn't really that long ago when the U.S. was the number one market. But in China, because of regulations and because of the mandates that they have there, a million EVs is is or even half a million is definitely doable. Well, by 2023, GM is going to have three assembly plants producing EVs exclusively. The Orion, Michigan plant, the Detroit Hamtramck plant, and the Spring Hill, Tennessee plant are all going to be exclusively building electric vehicles, battery electric vehicles. Um, so, you know, at, you know, quarter million apiece, um, you know, that's capacity for, you know, 750,000 EVs a year just from those three plants. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot, you know, when a lot of the work that I did in Saudis in focused on who bought EVs and why, but at that time we were really limited to just the Nissan Leaf and the, and the Tesla Model S. And so now, as you mentioned, the, the proliferation of new product into different segments that will appease a lot of different groups. I mean, I think that there's again if we if we can normalize the look of the vehicle and the ownership experience there's certainly from a driving standpoint these are very engaging vehicles you know I, I mean I I didn't love the Ionic um when I had it but there's still you know but I but I did love the Kona so I think that there's opportunity there to really get a, a new audience for EVs and demographically there are a lot of changes coming a lot of younger buyers are going to be coming into uh, you know in in 5 years time so i think that there's a lot of opportunity here 
Absolutely. And in the commercial space also, you know, for Hyundai and Kia, for Hyundai, I mean, they have a lot of opportunity in the commercial space to get EVs. And when we talk about that engine noise, my gosh, you can hear a diesel truck coming a mile away, right? <laughs> How nice is it to not have that in an EV? Yeah, or just be choking on the, the exhaust. Um, well, well, the drivers yeah. actually prefer EVs in their commercial vans. You know, like the sprinter types, because it is quiet and they don't have, they're not surrounded by diesel fuels. While we're still on EVs, uh, we've got a couple other things. Um, you know, Cat, the report Cadillac has been offering $500,000 or at least $500,000 or more buyouts to dealers that don't want to invest in EV support. And, you know, Cadillac's got a stated goal of basically being pretty much all EV by the end of the, by 2030, by the end of this decade. So does that mean that they're like, if you don't want to support EVs, they're buying you out, like, and they'll you are no longer a Cadillac franchise. dealer. So they'll say, if you don't want to sell EVs, support EVs, we don't want you to sell Cadillacs anymore. And here's a check. Go away. Go sell something else. But it's just 500 grand? Uh, 500, 500,000 and up. I think, you know, I think it'll vary depending on the dealer, but I, my guess is, you know, what we're likely to see is, you know, smaller dealers, you know, getting 500,000, you know, those that don't want to invest a couple hundred thousand dollars in, you know, the, the parts and the equipment that's needed and chargers and, you know, all the other stuff they need to support EVs and training for their, their uh, staff. Um, you know, the big, the big dealers, the big Cadillac dealers, um, you know, if, if one of them, you know, wanted to not sell EVs, um, you know, I'm sure that GM would offer them more money, but, um, you know, all, all they're buying back is the franchise, not the whole store. These are people that you know, geographically will probably see some differences as well, you know, in, in people that take them up on this offer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, probably be some dealers, you know, like in the, uh, more rural areas, you know, in the Midwest and, and some places like that, you know, more, the bigger dealers in the urban areas, you know, they're going to sell EVs because they're going to, ha- they're going to have customers in those markets that want them. You know, they're going to want cars like the Lyric and the Celestic and, and whatever else comes up. Um, and it, the other, uh, another related thing with GM as well is um, with the Hummer coming next year, um, you know, there's been some, some reports about how GM is handling that with their dealers. Uh, apparently what GM has been telling their dealers, their GMC dealers is the all the all the, the the whole purchase process with the Hummer EV is going to be handled online, and basically the the dealers are going to take care of final delivery, and uh, you know and and service and support. Um, customers buying the Hummer EV will do it online. You know they'll take care of all the financing and stuff online, and you know then GM will assign the the delivery to a dealer and you know, they'll, they'll handle that. Uh, but the dealers won't be getting any inventory of Hummers. So, you know, one thing on the Cadillac dealer issue, isn't an EV, it doesn't require as much service. So they potentially are not going to be making as much money on servicing also. Um, yeah, that, that is, and that's, you know, one of the reasons why especially smaller dealers might be reluctant to make the investment that's required. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, I think I think you know, importantly though, there there's that tension right between, 
the manufacturer, the main brand, and the the small dealers. And um, I, I guess I want to make sure that we're not um, not making it sound like these dealers are jerks. It's they got businesses to run, and, and yeah, you know, yeah, for yeah. sure. It, yeah, there, it, there and, is investment yeah, to make. For for some dealers, you know, it it absolutely doesn't make economic sense to invest hundreds of thousands of dollars in, you know, in spare parts inventory and training and equipment uh, and chargers if they know that they're probably not going to sell very many, if any, of those vehicles. So in this, I'm reading in in one of the articles about this. It it says. According to the latest report, even a buyout offer of 300000 can equal 10 years worth of new Cadillac vehicle sales for some dealers. 300000 Are they talking about profit there? What they're making in profit? Margins. Even a buyout <laughs> yeah, offer of 300000 can equal 10 years worth of new Cadillac vehicle sales for some dealers. It's probably profit. It may be that some some small dealers, you know, that maybe aren't exclusive Cadillac stores, you know, if they're selling GMC and, and yeah, you know, or, or or maybe you know just some other non-GM brand, uh, right? Cadillac, uh, that they you know they may not see the justification in uh, in spending that money on uh, on Cadillac EVs. No, I mean if if you're not going to buy a Cadillac EV, how about you come over here and we'll put you into a nice uh, <laughs> yeah. Nice Tahoe for a more profit. Or how about an HG pickup truck? $100,000 crew cab pickup. Well, I, I suspect Lots you know, of Cadillac profit. dealers that are, you know, are selling other GM brands yeah. are probably not going to, they're, they're probably not going to be the ones that don't want to make the investment because GM's doing this across all four brands. So, uh, you know, there's going to be, you know, a lot of GM EVs coming as we mentioned. And, uh, you know, there, there's, it wouldn't, it wouldn't it, those those dealers you know they're going to spend the money they're going to make the investment because they're not going to have any choice for the more mass market brands um the hump is going to be a little easier to get over my guess is that anytime they make a big shift like this like they did with with Hummer and Saab they put those dealerships together they had particular uh architects uh you know particular architecture for the dealerships that the dealers had to front the money for and you know or, mm-hmm. or had to at least secure the loans with their own collateral. So it was, you know, there's a big investment on the dealer side too. And, and if you're rolling it out with Cadillac, they want, you know, that brand experience to be premium versus uh, Chevy, which they still want a good brand experience, but um, different and probably for less money. And before we leave EVs, I just want to mention, uh, speaking of EVs with Rivian, uh, Laura Schwab, uh, went from being the president of Aston Martin of the Americas to being the VP of sales and marketing for Rivian, the first the first person in that position as they go to launch. So that will be an interesting development to watch. Is she a friend of yours? Can she get us some Rivians? She can probably get us some Rivians. Let's get some Rivians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think it'll be, you know, we're, we're coming to the time where some of these brands, um, Rivian among them, uh, the Fisker Ocean, you know, we're starting to see these come to fruition. So it'll be, it's an exciting time. Well, the Fisker Ocean, the you know, crowd. it's funny. We mentioned Magna earlier. I think Magna's building that. Um, yeah, Magna's, Magna's building yeah. the Fisker Ocean uh, in Graz as well. 
this dovetails nicely with EVs, and we don't need to belabor the point too much, but there's more and more uh, internal combustion engine bans. Um, and like the more I hear it reported, the more I get a little frustrated at the tone because like you can keep your car. <laughs> it's not like they're going away. It's that they they want to um, stop the sale of new ones, which right. you, you know you're you're shaping you're shaping behavior through you know regulation and policy. And you know I, I know I, we were talking about this before we started recording, so I, I know you two have thoughts about it. But like, I don't know of any other way to actually accelerate EV adoption than to take you know, internal combustion engines off, off the retail shelves. And I do, you normalize the ownership experience of EVs. Well, I think they're working. Uh, it's on that, it's a, my, it's, it's, a, it would be a natural progression. The problem is it's not fast enough for a lot of people, but it's not fast enough because there hasn't been the right product. Now we have the right technology. We have the products we have to have, we've got to get that ownership experience. And frankly, we still have a lot of challenges with the electrical grid. Yeah, that's true. With, I think the infrastructure I mean, is that definitely is, lagging still. We haven't really totally solved that issue. By any stretch, look at what go. Look at the blackouts in California right now. I mean, it's like we can't. It's it's like converting everything over and not having a fuel source. Yeah, and I mean, for for what it's worth, you know, most of the big utilities are actively working on this. You know, they're 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 working on you know what do they need to do to modernize their grid infrastructure to support EVs because they actually do want more EVs. Uh, on the road because you know that's a market for their product which is electricity you know so they want they want evs out there but you know they they do need to make some changes you know updates in their grid um and you know they need to do things like you know have managed charging you know so that they can mm -hmm. they can remotely manage you know how much energy is going into evs at various times of the day uh because ideally what you want you know as a, as a grid operator as a utility is you know you want to have a constant flow of electricity you don't want it cycling up and down too much and so you know if you can manage that charging process better you know and you if you have evs out there that you can you can manage you know when they're drawing from the from the grid and also you know with things like bi-directional charging when you know if you can draw a bit of power out of those vehicles and use and use those vehicles that are plugged in as a buffer to help you know shave some of the peak loads off of you know when, when you've got high high load on the on the grid you know so you don't have to ramp up another power plant to generate more power if you can draw some a bit of power from some of the vehicles that are out there uh, those are the sorts of things that they're working on now and and by the time we get to the end of the decade you know when we're starting to look at some of these bans on sales of new internal combustion engines you know, I think they'll they'll have a lot of those issues sorted out. The other thing is, uh, you know, Dan, you, you, know, you mentioned, you know, those those ICEs that are out there today are not going anywhere. Yeah, I mean, we've got 290 million registered vehicles in the United States alone. <laughs> That's almost you know, as many Almost people. all of which, you know, <laughs> like all but about a million of which are internal combustion engines. Yeah. You know, those things are not going away. You know, the average age of vehicles on the road today is is 12 years now. Right. And, you know, so it's going to take decades before all of those vehicles are, are gone. 
Well, and we, we honestly, we shouldn't want them to go away instantly. We should want to get as much use out of them as mm -hmm. feasible um, because mm -hmm. of the amount of energy and raw materials it took to make them. To build them. Yeah, I mean, it, certainly the emissions are an issue, and at a certain point, uh, you know, you're, you're going to be doing, you know, the the environmental harm that you're doing from running it versus, you know, sort of getting all of that sort of return on the uh, initial investment of, of energy and materials, you know, the, those two lines cross and then you, you start just actively polluting a little bit more. Um, I, I'm, tr you know, trying to wrap my head around that, but the, they're going to coexist. And, you know, we're seeing energy shift too. now renewables like wind and solar are some of the cheapest energy out there. Uh, and the big problem with that is, yeah, especially like solar, the sun needs to shine. But if you have a grid with storage, which, you know, that's that's where the grid is going, um, it, it smooths out those peaks and valleys. And so if, if everybody's car can act as a little bit of storage and, you know, if, if they rely on your car heavily, you get a check. It's It's almost like if you have solar on your house right like you do rebecca do you ever get a check <laughs> from the, i don't from the actually sadly do, do but i think that though, right? like, i or, mean my concern though is if we and i could be completely not understanding this but so if we're looking at cars as potential sources like when they're plugged in and maybe it powers your house you know like like mine could do or something but then that also means having a charger at in your home right. which is which is different than, and one of the barriers, because when we think about multi-unit dwellings, uh, and again, different, you know, there's not anybody that has a gas station at their house anymore. And so, you know, the farm next right, to me used farms, to have, yeah. uh, they, only, only farms, they literally yeah. used to have a gas station. Well, you get the farm um, diesel too, that had the red dye in it, that, you know, if you got busted on the road, you didn't pay road tax. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that, you know, we have to, we have to be when we're when we're creating this infrastructure we have to think as far down the road as possible and you know like i had mentioned before volkswagen investing in these in these cool and i never described them properly but like the little robot guys that come to your car and you know mobile will, chargers mobile Charge chargers bikes, yeah. thank you and they'll charge your car and then they go back to their little station and and you don't need designated parking and you don't need the the tower of infrastructure and such or the you know the actual charger individual chargers there so there's there's i just i want i want to make sure that we are thinking as far into the future as possible when it comes to how we charge these vehicles but some of these projects are are going to take 10, 12, 10, 15, 20 years beyond what, you know, we're asking manufacturers to do right now. Hey, we, you know, we're banning, we're banning cars. Oh, we don't have any way of, of charging them, but we're banning them. So I think that there's a balance there that we have to make sure that people are working in tandem and these industries are working in tandem. You know, uh, Saudi Aramco is they have, I think they have six different engine development labs around the world because their number one concern is that we don't run out of oil because if they run out of oil they're in trouble so they want to make the most efficient engines possible but also so the sun of, really like isn't saudi arabia kind of sunny wouldn't solar be good there <laughs> uh, you would think yeah however uh what happens to the it's solar panels there's a lot of sand oh, that's and, true. and because yeah. there's limited water uh, where in, in the desert, obviously it's hard to clean them. 
So uh, there, there was a solar panel, one of the largest in the Middle East, and they actually uh, said, you know, the capacity, the, the um, utilization was really poor. And so some bright crew got a bunch of rags and wiped the sand away and scratched all the panels and the utilization was halved from what it was. So it went from being like 70 down to 30 because all the panels were scratched. Yes. So it's, it is a, it seems obvious, uh, but the reality also is that it's so hot. So the compound that I lived on, we had a huge solar grid um, and but the problem was that the houses that they build are huge as well and not particularly well insulated. So even though we were actually LEED certified in the building that I worked in was um, was highly energy efficient, the environment, the climate just is really difficult to try and manage the sand on the solar panels. Huh. Yeah, I mean, always something. I, I, I like as with everything, it's not as simple as it seems uh, at first. Um, or it's it's simple, but it's not easy. Um, you know, those are two distinct uh, things. Yes. And and um, our grid and our energy utilities here have a lot of a lot of issues. Like you know, in California in particular. Like I think there's a lot of under maintained systems to begin with, and just adding the demands of uh, EVs to it um, is going to show even more cracks uh, we can get a handle on that we just have to commit to it and yeah i mean that's that's why we're seeing a lot of growth in what's known as der distributed energy resources you know so moving more and more away from centralized generation and then distribution through the grid you know where you have a, a bunch of big power plants you know moving to smaller generation facilities you know solar residential solar solar on buildings and warehouses and and wind and you know all this stuff you know so just having it a more distributed system that should also be more resilient yeah. and hydro too right because mm-hmm. hydro is yeah, pretty good yeah, hy- right? yeah hy- hydro is like the original renewable uh renewable energy well, source yeah and so we just had we just went through this uh in new england they want to build you know there was a deal with hydro quebec and massachusetts and the way they were going to get the power here was they were going to hack a giant high tension transmission line through the white mountain national forest and they're like no that's not <laughs> happening um so there's you know our, our grid is you know transmission capacity is limited too and it's just like in new england where like natural gas transmission capacity is limited so energy it's it's a really interesting sort of sidebar to automobiles because all of our cars take energy if we go ev they're kind of fuel agnostic that's cool but um the only fuel that really has the infrastructure that makes life as pleasant as it currently is is petroleum and so how do we make it uh as easy or close to as easy with alternatives and we're, we're getting there with evs you know that the tech has to catch up too so the, the faster they can charge the, the more uh more attractive it's going to be to get get them off the road uh get gas cars off the road so well, before before gas cars die, there's something else that's dying, Dan. Yes, we're all dying a little bit every day. <laughs> so is the Volkswagen Passat. The Passat, Passat. is it's, it's named after a wind, right? And it's blowing away. It's it's, it's <laughs> like as, as, as like sands through the uh, 
Sands through the hourglass. Uh, <laughs> you are dark tonight, big oh, guy. <laughs> I mean, that's that's days of our lives, isn't it? Like sands through the hourglass. These oh, are the days of our God. lives. Um. Anyway, the we don't need to belabor this either. The Passat is dying because people aren't buying it because they're buying crossovers like that uh, Atlas Cross Sport and the Atlas. Exactly. And you know, big sedans are uh, one of the casualties of uh, our our buying habits shifting. Um, so it's it kind of sucks a little bit because you know Passat goes, but was the was we had the first Passat was the Dasher and then the Quantum, and then <laughs> they decided to actually call it the Passat. Uh, so it's it's a it's a thing to to lose. Kind of sucks. Um, are you guys as verklempt as I am about it? No, no, no. <laughs> nobody cares. The, the current the current. I mean, we we owned a Passat for what, almost nine years. We had a, a two thousand Passat wagon, which was a great car to drive and a terrible car to own. <laughs> um, but you know, my wife the, when it wasn't in the shop, my wife loved that car. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, you know that that was like the last generation of great Passat in North America, and then you know after that one went away, we got one that was um, made more amenable to the U.S. market. <laughs> yeah, it was a great that, Impala. That sounds like a country song. <laughs> it's like, it really what was, is it? I, I'm a bad boy, but a good man. Yeah. It's, Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> the, wow. You know the, the the current generation Passat is fine. But it's nothing it's, special. It's a Lumina. It's or an Impala. Yeah. It's, it's just, oh, it's not. Oh, it's not Lumina. that bad. Oh, come it's, on. It's fine. It's a big. <laughs> it's a Camry. Yeah. It's a Ger- It's a German designed, American built Camry. It's and it's fine. You know, it's like yeah. I think it's probably actually better owner experience. Um, oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it absolutely is. It's nowhere near the like. So you had it at the Zenith, the PX era, with like that was like when you could get the W8 and the, all yeah. the just. I mean, that was, nonsense. you know, that was the, what the, I think the B4 platform. So it was this, it was the same architecture as it was basically an, an Audi A4 right yeah. that was, you know, about 10 grand cheaper, you know, but didn't feel 10 grand cheaper. You right. Know, it had different that was, badges on it, but that was the sort of, that was the peak of, of Volkswagen. Everything yeah. was just fantastic then. Um, and completely unreliable. <laughs> <laughs> um and so the newer ones are better the new oh jetta i mean the jetta's been that way since what like 2010 2011 too it got uh, uh something like that yeah. bigger and cheaper and probably um less less exotic in terms of the engineering but um you know again just like a, a better sort of straightforward car but that's not what people are buying so it makes sense for it to just die and it's it's not the rest of the world passat anyway it's our passat the Passat yeah. that the rest of the world right. gets isn't even the same car, so it it makes sense for Volkswagen to say like, well, we're gonna we're gonna tie off the bleeder here, uh, and yeah. just stop building this. Well, thing. and and you know they're the you know the Chattanooga plant where they build it, you know they also build the Atlas there, and they're gonna be switching that plant, you know, switching that over to building the new ID four and ID five and other electric vehicles there. So that's another plant that's being converted to EV production. Right. So it's just, you know, sometimes when, you, when you've when you served your time, you just have to take a long walk in the woods. Yep. All right. Let's, <laughs> let's get let's some, listener some listener questions. Let's, yeah, some listener <laughs> questions. And, and let's, stick, let's stick with VW for the first one. Okay. Uh, this is from uh, Friedel and Koch. Um, and uh, greetings from Germany. Been listening to from the beginning. Was 
was uh, tipped off to the show by Casey Liss on ATP. Thanks, Casey. Um, just to check in, uh, living in southern Germany, um, driving a 2019 VW Touran. Uh, so the Touran That's is the a, van, right? Is MQB-based uh, minivan based on the same on the Golf. It's basically a taller, longer Golf. Those uh, are cool. I want one. Mini- yeah, <laughs> um, and also a smart cabriolet. Those are uh, also cool. So uh, the question, uh, do you think the minivan and maybe the wagon too will be totally subsumed by SUVs and crossovers? I found that there are people that want to buy one, minivan that is, but there are so few left on the market, and that is nearly impossible. Maybe a chicken and egg problem? For my part, I'm hoping to still be able to buy one when it's time to replace the Turon, maybe, but maybe the ID Buzz will fill that role. So what do you guys think? I'll, I'll, yeah. let, I'll let you go first, Rebecca. <laughs> go, go first. I've been talking a lot. Okay. Um, I think that uh, vans like the Turan don't do well here in the U.S., but they, they are a really good match for other markets because they're they're compact and very functional. Um, I think there's also a generation coming up that is going to rebel against the crossover, much as the generation before you know, grew up in minivans and is buying anything but a minivan. And before that, the minivans sold because they weren't wagons. So everything is sort of cyclical. Um, and each of those things that came before feels kind of exotic to generations to come after. You know, you get a little distance from it and it's different and it's neat. And uh, so I, I'm sure that if there's enough buyers, they'll come back, even if the ones we have currently go out of production Um vans are a really good idea and every now and then somebody reinvents one you know it's it's like it's like all the tech bros uh out in uh silicon valley you know they they want to disrupt everything and then they wind up inventing the bus (laughs) yeah same kind of thing like um, well i mean i think the number one distinction and the number one reason for purchase of a minivan is the sliding doors and so sliding doors are great sorry i would sliding doors are great they are great for little kids to get in and out of it's ideal. And that's, that's why I think that minivans will always, as long as there are families, there will be minivans because of the sliding door. If they do something silly, like some, for some reason, completely discontinue sliding doors, then you're just getting a crossover and then that's defeating the whole purpose of getting a, a quote minivan. So I think it's like pickup trucks without the pickup bed <laughs> it's just then that's an SUV. <laughs> right. And so you know that the sliding doors as long as as long as minivan minivans will exist as long as they have sliding doors. Well so but yeah. like the, the Turan doesn't have the Turan it's more like a Mazda 5 well the Mazda 5 had a sliding door didn't it? It's right more, it's which like, why is why we wouldn't consider it a minivan. Yeah. Um that's that's true. We we I mean, it's just like the C-Max or, or whatever the, the whatever it was called I think it was the Galaxy it was based on but just you know, it's it's a but, tall, boxy, not hatchback. <laughs> I don't know what's a. You know, it's got four. Well, I mean, I'm looking at you know yeah, the you're right, ID you're right. four. The Turan, the, Turan, the current generation Turan does not have uh, sliding doors. Yeah, and the ID four doesn't either. So... No, well, the ID four is a crossover. You know, it's, yes. it's not even. Oh, I'm sorry. Which one did he reference? The buzz. Uh, the oh, ID he buzz. referenced the buzz. The, the ID buzz. Yes. Does or at least the concept had sliding yes, doors. Yes, had sliding the doors. Production one will. Yes. Um, and that's the ID buzz is scheduled to for production launch in 2022. 
Um, so that one, that one is coming. That one, so you know, that one should be around. You know, right about the time you you want to be maybe looking at uh, replacing the Tehran. Uh, it probably will be a fair bit bigger than the Tehran, um, but uh, yeah, it's you know, and that's you know, since it's ID, that means it's going to be uh, electric, battery electric. I, you know, I, they're going to exist. Keep us posted. They're going to be around. Yeah. All right. Next one uh, from Chris uh, Meisenzahl. Um, I've seen some sketchy reports of an <laughs> imminent new Land Cruiser. Would you uh, three? Would you um, hear what? Would love to hear what you three know and your thoughts about Toyota in this segment. Thanks. I know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I think that the issue. I mean, the land. The current Land Cruiser is incredibly expensive for the market. Yeah, I thought it was actually getting getting discontinued. Right. So there's 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 a discussion that it will not the next generation will not come to the US and I think a lot of it is pricing. That's just my first. Well, I mean it's it's it. you can get a anchor so it's like 90 grand and it's doesn't feel like a Lexus. It's nice, but it's not that nice, you know. It's right. just and it's serious hardware. It's the you know, all three differentials lock and it's 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 legit an off-road vehicle um, that doesn't and, ever. You know the, the land the Land Cruiser. You know the current generation Land Cruiser launched in two thousand seven, so it's <laughs> been around for a while. Um, it's you know it's old. Yeah. Uh, you know I I wouldn't be surprised if there. In fact, I would be surprised if there's not a new Land Cruiser in development. You know that's um, <clears throat> that will probably launch in the next twelve to eighteen months. Um, but you're right, whether it gets sold here, who knows, you know, we might end up just with the Lexus LX, uh, version and not get the, the Toyota brand, brad, badged version of it. Um, I think that's the most likely scenario because there, I mean, the, the Lexus, I had it a couple of months ago and the one that I had was a hundred thousand, two hundred and sixty dollars including destination, mm-hmm. but you know, the, the Land Cruiser is not that far off from that number. And so I think that it's a pricing issue that's the number one. And, and of course, just lack of demand, too. Right. I mean, people well, aren't going to use it like that. You know, what might be interesting is if Toyota decides to do the, you know, to take the Toyota version, the Land Cruiser, and maybe take it down market a bit more and, you know, try to compete with vehicles like the Bronco and the Wrangler. Yeah, that that would be interesting. I Don't they the, have the Forerunner for right, that? Right, I was gonna say I thought the Forerunner kind of uh, is the their boat. I just for that. got a Forerunner yeah. today. I love it. It's so fun. <clears throat> it's so, so cool looking. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the uh, and the problem that Toyota has too at that end of the market with the larger SUVs is uh, in the U.S. they've got the Sequoia that right. really yeah. um, fills probably ninety five percent of the same role and is actually larger. Um, it's not going to be as good off-road as the yeah, Land Cruiser. Yeah, the Land Cruiser's got that off-road capability. Yeah, where the, the, the Sequoia lacks. But but I I think that the way we use cars here in the states, the Sequoia is a yeah. better match and it's cheaper. It's not right, cheap. and that, yeah. that and that's that's why I was thinking that you know you could potentially see them, you know, maybe take it down market more, uh, and and try to make it more of that pure off-roader. I'd be fine with that, that. platform. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I mean, I, well, but, globally, but how big the, a market is there for that, you know, for that, you know, that segment? Probably none. Well, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, think about, 
it, it's it's more the want than the actual. So people just want to be able to go off road, but they don't actually do it. But you know, the Land Cruiser is super popular in the Middle East and other parts, and where people do need that kind of traction, you do need that type of capability in the sand yeah. and where people go on a regular basis. So I think that there's demand for something like the Land Cruiser in other parts of the world, but maybe just not in the States. Yeah. And that's fine. Like we, there's a lot of Toyotas we don't get that are actually kind of neat. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, Absolutely. So, all right. What's next? Any more questions? Uh, next up, uh, this is from Steve Benoff. Uh, love the show. Never miss it. Uh, I bought a 2017 Genesis G80 new, and I love it. I call it a poor man's Mercedes. I love all the standard equipment, including the V6, all for a list price of $41,000. I paid thirty-eight. The 2020 G80 was under four thousand, was under forty-three thousand, but the 2021 G80 starts at over forty-eight. Uh, when you include four hundred for just about any paint choice, uh, and if I want a V6, it's ten grand more. Clearly, Genesis has a new demographic in mind. Uh, the considerable price increase can only work on, to my benefit in raising the value of my car, though I won't be selling it for many years. But if I were buying a new car today, I'd probably go for an Avalon, which can be had with a V6 for considerably less than the new G80. Um, mm. What do you guys think? Well, I mean, the extra ten grand for the V6 is definitely not worth it in the G80. I having we just talked about having driven both of those vehicles recently, both of those engines rather in the G80 and the GV80. But I mean, yes, Hyundai is or Genesis is moving up brand with the Genesis brand. They're separating. They want more separation between Hyundai's pricing and Genesis, and and more definition in what in Genesis as the luxury brand. I mean, look at what we just talked about with the Lexus and Toyota, right? There's very little price difference between the Toyota version and the Lexus version. And so the Toyota version, you know, there isn't the demand because the Lexus buyer is going to be more tolerant of that pricing. Genesis is trying to move up market and separate itself from Hyundai. But you know, the G80 that we both, Sam and I both had is a really, really good car for even for $48,000. It's still really good. Yeah. The pricing on the paint. I totally understand that, Steve. I respect that. Um, but I don't, I mean, then the new Avalon is pretty good. I just, I personally love the looks and the driving experience in, in the Genesis, the 2021 G80. They're definitely yeah, the Avalon and the, the Genesis are going to have different characters. But I think, too, in 2017, we didn't yet have the G70 that um, we've had to make room. Genesis has had to make room for at the bottom of their range. So that covers right. that, that price, that, you know, mid 30s to low 40s uh, price is the G70. Now, I realize it's smaller uh, and so if you want a car the size of the G80, you're kind of stuck um, unless you're, you know, you wait a little bit and buy one that's uh, off lease or something and you can still get the value out of it that way. But if you want it brand new, yeah, I guess the, the prices have increased a bit, um, you know, and then there's nothing wrong with saying like that's that's too rich for my blood. What else is, is around? Um, there's. Nothing wrong with the Avalon. I like it quite a bit. Uh, it's just it's not not the same kind of of car, and the the, the G eighty has those 
uh, rear wheel drive sort of traditional big luxury sedan dynamics going on. And that may not actually be all that important to you. Um, you know, so yeah, I mean, uh, it's an interesting observation too, because typically I think of Genesis and, and I think like, well, you're, you're getting all the stuff that the German brands give you, but you are paying considerably less. And, and now as they sort of get established, that that's, that's gap is closing a bit. Plus, uh, Genesis doesn't have Entune, so, you know, I think that's worth an extra 10 grand. That's true. If you're suffering with Entune, you might want to pay. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. All right. Why don't we call it a night uh, at that? All right. Good. Well, so thanks for listening. You know where to find us. We are at uh, feedback at wheelbearings.media. Uh, and you can find all our new channels uh, for... Uh, the, the Patreon and, and other things. Patreon is uh, patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. Uh, and you can find us on social and we'll be around. Keep sending your questions in. We'll see everybody next time. Thanks, Bye. everyone. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.